of the peace that he's going to bring to this entire world when he returns. So Lord, I just pray as we sing these songs and, and we feel the sadness of the music, yet we hear the hope and the joy and the peace in the words. May it be a picture for us of what it is to live in a world that we know we have a promise from you that you will return and make all things right. And you've already begun that when you rose from the grave. But at the same time, we do feel the sadness and the grief that is still present while we wait. And as we hold those two things in tension, may you fill our hearts with peace, joy, hope, and an undeniable love from you, our Father, to us, your children, your family. Thank you that you are Emmanuel with us now. We rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh, man. Well, welcome to the second Sunday of Advent, everybody. Seriously, worship team, you guys messing me up. Messing me up. Now, before I uh, got up here, I've been praying that the Lord would not allow my cough to be a distraction for anybody, okay? It's just, it's leftover, head cold. Please, you know, if, if it comes up, just act like it's not there. I, tr- I will. Um, I trust me, I'm not going to, no one's going to catch anything, you know, nothing like that. Um, it's just remnants of a cold, but um, let's just jump on in, shall we? Let's jump on in. So, so Shelby and I moved um, from Tennessee to Boston 12 years ago. And, and right after we did, or pretty soon after we did, as we were still getting acclimated to New England and all that New England is, a local guy asked me, he says, have you had a roast beef sandwich yet? And my first response was, well, yeah, of course. But in my mind, I was thinking, what's the big deal? Right? Because if you want to get a roast beef sandwich in the southeastern U.S., you go to a chain restaurant called Arby's. And Arby's, they give you some meat on a bun, but you have to smother it in sauce to get some semblance of flavor. All right? It's not bad. It's just meh. Right? And he could tell that I was a little unimpressed. So he said, no, no, no. Have you had a real roast beef sandwich, like from a place around here? All right. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. So I went to, for the first time, I went to a place called Nick's Famous Roast Beef in North Beverly. Anybody here know that, know that place? Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, it is kind of famous. So I step in there for the first time, and the place is mobbed, line is long, and, and I learn quick that there's like this ordering language. There's a code to this restaurant. The orders are going fast, and I don't know the code. It's like, it's like the first time you step in Starbucks, right? It's like, like, if you don't know how to speak the language, then you're a little put off. So I, I wait in line, I get to the front, and eventually the guy's like, what do you want? Uh, and I just repeated what the guy in front of me said, large beef, large beef. Said, what do you want on it? Oh, there's a second step. <laughs> a second step. Uh, I don't know. Everything, everything. You got it. Next. All right, great. Pass the, like, ordering code test. And so I sat there and waited and eventually he called my number. And I went, grabbed my sandwich, sat down, opened it up, and it's like that smell just goes, poof, 
right in your face. And I picked it up, and as the sauce began just falling out the back of it, I took that first bite. And it was like the angels began singing <laughs> in that moment. Hello, freshness. And the flavor, right? Just bursting at the seams. Like, this is what roast beef sandwich was meant to be. I thought I knew roast beef until now. Now I truly know it. And now that all of our lunch plans have probably changed, here we are in week two, and as you already know, we're talking about the theme of peace. And peace is is a very popular word today. It always has been. Uh, But oftentimes the vision of peace that we are fed is just a mental peace, right? The absence of worry in our minds. Or maybe peace is just the absence of conflict or war, right? Or it just means peace is everybody getting along and being nice to each other. But is really, is that all there truly is to peace? Because oftentimes people can, can just be getting along and be nice, but the deep wounds and pains are left unaddressed, right? Or what we call peace in a society may just be the powerful people subduing the powerless. And is that really what peace is meant to be? If that's what peace is, it seems pretty bland compared to what our hearts crave. And, but like Arby's roast beef, and maybe that's all we know. Perhaps, what else is there? And if Isaiah, the prophet, heard us say that, well, peace is just the absence of conflict or anxiety, he'd say, hold up. Hold up a second. Like, have you, do you know what real peace is? The kind that God envisions? Because it's far more rich, far richer than anything you could possibly imagine. Do you know the kind of peace that the Prince of Peace came to bring? The kind of peace that was worth singing about when a multitude of angels showed up the night Jesus was born? Do you know the kind of peace that Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before that first Christmas night? Talking about a royal child who, who among his many titles, would be called the Prince of Peace. And he says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Do you know that peace? And as we just sang, peace on earth, what are we envisioning exactly? What picture are we hoping for? What robust vision of peace does Isaiah, does God's word give us? And how does the Prince of Peace make that vision a reality? And if we belong to him, do we have any sort of role in that vision? That's where we're going today. And let's begin by getting a vision of what God means by peace in Isaiah chapter 2. Last week, we're in Isaiah 9, looking at the Prince of Peace, who will bring peace without end. But what does that mean? What can that look like? How can we begin to capture a mental image of that? Well, I think Isaiah chapter 2, 2 through 5, gives us at least a picture of what that looks like. And I want us to turn there together. Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 5. And if you'll read with me. 
Isaiah 2. It's page 554 of the Blue Bibles. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And try, try to picture this here. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes from many peoples, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Lord, give us your eyes to see the vision of peace that you have in mind. The thing that we know is coming when Christ returns. Help us to see that. But yet, as we see it, may you give us a vision for today, now, for both what you have done for us in Christ and what you want to do through us to bring your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as you absorbed this beautiful poetic imagery in, in Isaiah chapter 2, like what initially stuck out to you? Think about like, how did that initially hit you? Excuse me. Isaiah here is declaring a picture of future peace that the Prince of Peace will make reality. So what are your first thoughts? Beautiful, maybe too good to be true, tough to imagine. Or maybe did it wake up something in you, a desire for something more than what you feel in this world? But what I hope we see is that our God's vision of peace is far more beautiful and complete than anything we've known. The Hebrew word that Isaiah used for the peace that Christ will bring is shalom. And if you were here with us two months ago in a different series on the armor of God, you may have remembered me uh, unpacking shalom, this word, and explaining how it's, it's, it's not just the absence of pain, anxiety, or conflict, but shalom means to be made whole, complete. It's not just peace in our minds, but it's peace in body and soul. It's not just the absence of war, but it's relational, racial, economic harmony. The shalom is a state of being where everything functions as it was created to. The shalom rejects the idea that some people groups have to be pushed down in order for others to flourish. But as the artist and author Carolyn Arends explains, she says, shalom dares to imagine the comprehensive flourishing of every person and everything all at the same time. Isn't that beautiful? And so by depicting what he does here, Isaiah is daring us to believe that the Lord's vision of shalom will be one day realized. And when Christ returns, he says here in chapter 2 that people from all nations 
From Americans to Chinese, French to Afghans, Indians to Canadians, those in, in, in Tanzania to Argentina, all will stream to the mountain of God. And it says that together there will be a unified desire to learn the ways of God. And that this peace will not be won by sweeping sin and evil under the rug. But it, it will not be won by ignoring wrong, but through justice, he says. And that war will only be a thing of the past. And human ingenuity will no longer be used for, for destruction, but will be redeemed and repurposed, he says, to create garden tools, not weapons. And we could go to other places in Isaiah because this isn't the only place where he gives us a picture. Isaiah 11, he says things like, the wolf will live with the lamb. And if you want more, it makes, dig in this week. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35, both of which give us a picture, a vision of shalom. That shalom is where, is where both justice and righteousness, truth and love, security and prosperity, once enemies, now family, creativity, fearless joy, all exist. And if you think about it, isn't that word shalom, doesn't that encapsulate everything our hearts and souls crave? Yes. And so Isaiah speaks the Lord's vision of shalom right into our angry, burnt out, traumatized world. That feels like a cool glass of water, doesn't it? 20 years ago, a journalist and minister named Chris Hedges set out to determine if there had been any sustained periods of time in recorded human history without war. And he defined war as any act of conflict that claimed more than a thousand lives. And he, and he studied in particular, because he only had recorded history, about 3,400 years of, of what he studied. And out of that, you want to take a guess at how many war-free years there were in that time? 268, which means 92% of human history have been war. But let's be honest, even in the war-free years, or in the times, like as we just heard, after the hurricane is cleared, or after the crime has been committed and the person convicted, that doesn't mean that peace is present. There's still trauma fear, injury, anger that remain long after and sometimes for generations. And so when we hear and imagine those angels singing of peace on earth, doesn't that speak to the deepest cravings of our soul? For shalom. For shalom. And with, these, with Isaiah's hope-filled words in front of us, though, Next question is, though, how is this vision possible? How can the shalom of God become a reality? How is the Prince of Peace any different from all the others who have promised some sort of peace? Well, God's vision of shalom is not won by moral compromise or injustice, but in sacrificial love. And I'm going to unpack that more in just a moment. 
But first, think about it for a second. What really is required to bring true peace to a society? And if, and if like me, the, the thought of peace on earth just sounds a bit overwhelming to you, then I, then I, want, I want to scale it way down and just give us an example, a micro example of my family. All right? That's a hypothetical scenario that I want to lay out here. All right? Let's say, imagine that peace was just lost in my house because two kids got in a big old fight with each other because one stole a computer that we, a new computer that we just bought the other and subsequently broke it. All right? Bad deal. Anger, crying, tears, all the rest. Peace gone. So what would it take to restore peace or, <coughs> excuse me, shalom in my house? Well, first, let's talk about what, what I would, should not do, okay? What would probably be a bad idea is first, I could say, you know what? Okay, 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 okay. I'm going to buy computers for everybody. <laughs> Go to the store. You all get to pick it out. Fighting stops, right? But what did I not do? Address the wrong that was done, right? I, I completely ignored what was wrong. Yet oftentimes in society, we act like peace can be won by compromising or redefining what's right and then sweeping it all under the table. That's not peace. Or second, I could say, you know what? Hey, kid, you messed up. You admit that? Yes. Can you apologize? I'm sorry. Good, great. We're done now, right? And the other sibling would go, no, we're not done. My computer's still broken. My computer is, like, what are you going to do about that? Where's the justice in that? And we see, though, that God's peace is about a restoration of what was lost to wholeness. So the one who did what was wrong also needs to somehow be held accountable for what they did. And so we see from this example that to experience shalom, we need the presence of both righteousness but also justice, right? So in this scenario, we, we need to have a little powwow with a kid who, who broke the computer, have a serious conversation, and we need to talk about jealousy. We need to talk about why stealing is wrong and make sure that that kid sincerely apologizes, and then turns from what is wrong and turns toward what is right. Righteousness, right? But second, to establish shalom, the one who broke the computer really must somehow fix it if they're able or earn the money to replace it. Right? That's only just. That's only just. And so we see that that's the, exactly what Isaiah paints in each of his pictures of shalom. That we saw in Isaiah chapter 2, the presence of righteousness and justice. He says in, in, in chapter, two, or, yeah, chapter 2, verse 3, He will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. Righteousness. In verse 4, he will judge between the nations and settle disputes. Justice. And he says that equally in Isaiah 9, verse 7. He says the prince of peace will establish and uphold his kingdom forever. With what? Do you see it? Justice and righteousness. Okay. So in my house, if I wanted to establish peace or shalom, then I need to make sure that my kid recognizes the fault, apologizes, and restores what is lost. But what about us and God? 
and us and the world. Right? Well, what, what, what is, how do you even begin to think about peace there? How did God begin to make peace with us? In a way that still blows my mind. Is that shalom began when the Prince of Peace became one of us, lived a righteous life, but then gave his life as the price of justice. In our world, it's not just some people who have done wrong things. We all have. We all have. That our creator gave us this life. Yet we've all, in various ways, used this life to serve ourselves instead of him. And God gave us his law, the Ten Commandments, which is his righteous standard. And we've either ignored it or we've just said, you know what? Even when we've tried to live up to it, we either do it for the wrong reasons or just prove unable. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and so we face this hard reality that we owed God our lives, yet we failed to give to him what he deserves. So what does justice require in return for our failure to live up to righteousness? Well, someone must pay. If we failed to give him our lives, then he requires our lives in return. Judgment for all. Yet, and this is the turning point, while justice required our lives, our God, filled with such love, realized somebody's got to pay that price. And if he wanted a people for himself, if he wanted a family for himself, then how could he require us to pay it? Because that would lead us eternally separated from him. So instead, our God came and he gave up his righteous life to pay our penalty for justice and give us peace. Someone had to pay it. And so instead of putting that burden on us, a price we could not pay, in grace and mercy, he paid it. And Isaiah knew this, and he saw this, and God revealed through him that before this vision of shalom could be realized, first, the prince of peace must be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us shalom, peace, was on him. That our God was not willing, he says, I, I'm a holy God, I'm not gonna sweep sin or wrongs under the rug. Nor will I crush you under the weight of my holy wrath. But as the Christmas carol says, we just sang it a second ago, he was born that man no more may die. That he was born to bring peace between us and God. That he didn't just give us a calmness, but he himself became our peace. And if you've received that, if you have believed that, then, then you have begun a relationship with our God. And no matter the lies of guilt and shame that, it, that you feel are spoken over you, they are not true, for you have been forgiven, cleansed. You have, he has made peace between you and God. 
And on that day when Christ returns, in return he will. He will establish justice, righteousness, a.k.a. shalom on earth. But because of his sacrifice of love for you and me, we do not have to fear that day. For on that day we will be singing with the angels, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those on whom his favor rests. That's you. That's you. And until that day, as followers of Jesus, we are representatives of his future vision of peace on earth. Sometimes, though, I'll be honest, when you look around at how messed up the world is, it's hard to believe that any sort of peace is possible. Sometimes, like, as, as a Christian, I can slip into thinking that the world is just too messed up. So maybe peace is just something for the future, not now. And if that's the way I'm thinking, then oftentimes I find myself in my own bunker with people who think like me and, and really just trying to wait it out until Jesus gets back. Or we assume that what he must mean by peace is really just a personal inner peace. It's not really like, like peace on a greater level. And while Christ has given us his spirit so that we can experience his inner peace of his presence with us now, that is most certainly true. He also said, blessed are the peacemakers. That here he gives us this full vision of shalom in Isaiah 2 that we know will be fully realized when Christ returns. But if we're a peacemaker, it means that we're not meant to wait out his return in bunkers hidden from those we feel like are a threat to us. But as Zechariah prayed, guide our feet into the path of peace. And man, what would happen if that became our prayer too every day? To say, Lord, man, I, I'm stepping into my world today. I'm starting this day. I don't want to hide in fear. I don't want to just play this battle where the world's over there and we're over here. I, I want to know, God, guide my feet in the path of peace. What would, what would the church look like as a whole? Not only this one, but the one across America and the West in the world, if that really became our prayer, we would look a lot less like soldiers fighting one side versus another and more like medics stepping out from the bunkers with words and actions of peacemaking. Except the only difference with medics of Christ is that we don't just work hard to heal our own, but we're looking for anybody and anyone who's in deep need and asking for the healing and the hope of Christ. And that's exactly why I wanted to, to, you all to hear Barton Heather's story earlier. Because the work they're doing takes them to some of the most devastated places, among devastated people, people of all backgrounds, all denominations, uh, like different religions even, but they have one goal, to bring Christ's Shalom. And as Christ came to us to give us his life and sacrificial love, he's looking to work through his peacemakers on earth until he returns. And as peacemakers, may we keep his vision of righteousness and justice in mind. We cannot pacify sin, for sin cuts against the very fabric of our God given humanity. 
Nor can we neglect the work of justice for those who are hurt and oppressed, downtrodden. But instead, like he laid out here in chapter 2, we, instead we realize that God has given us human ingenuity, talents, gifts, resources that can be used in our culture to, to reconcile, protect, create, grow, rebuild, set free, defend, forgive, heal, restore. Because all of that is a picture of the vision to come. And when we do that, we become known as followers of Christ, not for what we are standing against, but for the vision of shalom that we are working toward, laid out in God's word. And so when we think about just your own sphere of influence, think about your family, the kind of work that you do. You think about your neighbors, your friends. And where are their Where's their brokenness? Where's their need for restoration? Where are their lies being passed? Where are those far from God? And how can we participate with the Prince of Peace in bringing words, gospel words of peace and actions that are working toward that complete whole shalom that Christ will bring about one day? How can we catch a vision of God's peace and not realize we're meant to just wait it out but use our gifts and our talents to see it and become pictures of it within the world around us. And as that becomes our witness, doing it all in sacrificial love for the world, that's when the world will begin to see that complete peace is in no other name than the Prince of Peace. So I pray for you guys consistently. And I pray that, yes, we would all know the total peace of our hearts and our minds, especially in Christmas, which can be hard for a lot of people. But even more than that, I pray that we all begin to catch his vision of shalom. Because truth is, if we belong to Christ, as one theologian put it, We're people of the future. (laughs) We belong to a future reality where his shalom will saturate every corner of existence. And that makes us peacemakers today. Not peacekeepers, but peacemakers who make a real difference around us, or at least seek to follow God in doing so. And so as we consider the question of how the Holy Spirit may want to work, may be working in you already, or may want to, to bring about his shalom, we come to the communion table together. Because it's here that Christ revealed to us why he came. He said to make a new covenant, to make peace between us and God. How? With his own body and blood. And so we're going to take it in a moment. But before we do, are there any areas in your life where you realize, just talking about you and God right now, are there any areas where there's there's a real tension between you and God? Maybe, if you're honest, you said you've been angry with him. Or maybe you're really worried about and you're having a hard time trusting him. Or perhaps there's still some sin that you're holding on to that, that you need to confess. Before we take that, 
Let's come back to a moment of quiet together and just allow him to speak to you, to your heart and your mind and lay down anything that he has so that we together might come to a place of peace. So just where you are, I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to make a moment of silence to where you can talk to God on your own. And then as one family, a family at peace with him and therefore with one another, we're going to take this together. So Lord, God, when I read your word and pictures like Isaiah 2, God, there's a longing that comes in me for something so much more than my present reality. But Lord, I pray that in reading that, God, that we might not fall into despair, but instead experience a fresh joy rise up in us as we trust in your promises. Your promise to come, that you have not failed us yet. That you, the God who was born among us, gave your life as the price of justice for us and then rose again as just the beginning of the new life that you're bringing to each of us and that you promised to bring to this world. And so as we take this meal together, Lord, I pray that your peace would settle upon each and every person in this room. We receive it again.